Does God hate lawyers? We heard a lot of woes the last couple weeks about scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. Today he's going to talk to some lawyers. Look how the passage reads. Woe to you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear and you lay yourself You yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your little fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your prophets killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for indeed they killed them, and you build their tombs. I guess God hates lawyers. (laughs) A lawyer in this passage, think of the first three letters as the most important part. It was somebody who was an expert in the law. It was a religious person whose job was to take God's word and show you how to apply it. It would be maybe how we might think of a scribe today or an extremely religious um, expert. And Jesus has some pretty harsh things to say about them in contrast to what you and I might think of lawyers. There's really not a lot of examples of that kind of lawyer in the Bible, but there's at least one. And God's actually going to tell the lawyers here, the lawyers, that they actually have missed out on what God loves about justice. That there's a bad kind of lawyer and there's a good kind of lawyer. In the book of Titus, it says, Sen Zenos, which literally means the gift of Zeus. So this was probably a Greek or Roman who was working in the Greek-Roman legal system and had been named after Zeus. He came into the legal system to help uh, defend people. And fight for the truth by defending people and by prosecuting what is evil and became a Christian apparently that Paul mentions him here and says, hey, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way that they may lack nothing. So there's one kind of lawyer where you take God's word and skew it to justify your own behavior. You skew it and you end up hurting the people around you. You skew it and you've distorted the message of grace, then there's another type of lawyer that God wants us to be that we are willing to go deep into our own hearts and we're willing to prosecute lies. We are willing to defend the truth. We're willing to step up for what is right and fight against what is evil. In this message today, here's what you're going to be tempted to do because I know I'm tempted to do it and have been. While I'm talking, you're going to say to yourself, I know somebody like that who's done that to me. I want you to really resist that. I want you to instead say, how have I done this to somebody? Where's the lawyer in me? And let Jesus speak the woes against you. Don't be that kind of lawyer. Having heard the other woes, one of the lawyers came to Jesus after these harsh words against the Pharisees and harsh words against the Sadducees. And he says, hey, 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 tap, 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 tap. Uh, Teacher, by saying these things to those guys, you know, you kind of reproach us too. We're kind of offended. Some of that felt like it maybe applied to us. She's like, oh, oh, you were offended by the things I said? Well, let me make sure I'm clear about what I want to say to you. And he is about to lock and load three unbelievably 
penetrating, prosecuting, coming after what's broken inside of them kind of woes. Because they thought they knew better than God. I remember when I took one of my grad school classes, one of the interesting things about Moody Bible Institute's grad school program is it was taught by two teachers. One was a practitioner who was currently practicing, and the other one was the um, academic. So this was a class on Christian life and ethics, and specifically a graduate-level ethics course. So there was an ethical um, professor combined with an actual practicing lawyer, talking about not only here's how this sounds, here's how this works out. And I remember the man who came in that day, we were discussing um, the ethics of bankruptcy. And so we talked about, you know, let your yes be yes and let your no be no and, you know, trying to fulfill your promises. And so we sort of spoke on that for a while. And then the, the practicing lawyer said, but you do need to know that we live in a broken world where things happen beyond our control. And there's sometimes bankruptcy is something you have to engage in. And the 10 pastors in the room unleashed holy hell on him. No, 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 no. It is never acceptable. That is never appropriate. That is wrong. The Bible says your yes is yes and your no is no. And he says, guys. In general, that's true, but there are circumstances beyond your control, and the agreement someone makes when they enter in is there is a worst-case scenario that we hope never happens, and that's why we have bankruptcy law. And man, we fought this, guys. If we, pastors, uh, not in, in that thing, knew better. And he said, guys, I agree, your yes should be yes, your no should be no, but you are telling, you don't know what you're talking about. We were being lawyers. We took a good thing from the Bible, and we said, and therefore, there's never an exception to it. I had a friend of mine who uh, had one week where he lacked health insurance before he got married. It's only a week before I get married. He had a car accident, $100,000 in debt in one week because of that car accident. And he paid back every dime of that. And yet 10 years ago, 15 years ago maybe, he got caught in the Atlanta housing bubble and he had $3.2 million worth of real estate that pretty much overnight was worth a million and a half. And it broke him that he couldn't fulfill his promises. It broke him that the housing bubble forced him into bankruptcy. And I suddenly had a little bit more humility. That sometimes God talks about the ideal, but there's sometimes exceptions as well. And I need to be careful when I use God's law not to think I'm, that I know it all. And with that, Jesus gives these three woes to lawyers. The first woe is this. Stop pointing the finger without lifting a finger. He said, woe to you also lawyers. You load men with burdens hard to bear. Now, there are times that we, we load burdens, right? We, we call people to account. That's an okay kind of lawyer. Hey, you're, you're not uh, holding your responsibility here. You're not doing the right thing here. You violated this law. You... you um, talk to a teenager, you talk to a, a staff member, and you're like, you know, this is inappropriate, this is out of bounds, right? But they're loading not just burdens, but hard-to-bear burdens and inappropriate burdens, unbiblical burdens that they said were biblical. And it's, it's bad enough that you loaded the burden, but then you wouldn't even lift a finger to help. That the heart of a follower of Jesus is when we're going to engage in difficult conversations, we then say, but I'm also willing to help. I can't do your part, 
You're responsible for your part, but I want to come alongside. I want to lift a finger to help. And he, he smashes these lawyers for giving burdens that God didn't tell them to give, distorting it, and by not being willing to touch or help the person who's hurting with one of their fingers. So let me give you a couple of the ways. They, they added 600 and something additional laws. So you were supposed to you know, not work on the Sabbath, so they said, yeah, so you need to stay home on the Sabbath and not you know, go travel all over the place. Well, unless you want to extend your home, you can tie a rope around a tree in your house and then by extension, wherever the rope can go up to 100 feet, your home is there. So, hey. So keeping the Sabbath was okay as long as you, you stayed within the rope line. But as you're doing it, don't at any time tie a knot in the rope. Now that's work. And suddenly the ropes and the knots became the essence of practicing faith. Also, on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to look in a mirror. Why? Because if you look in a mirror, you might see a gray hair. And if you see a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it. And that would be harvesting. Harvesting. <laughs> You weren't allowed to move furniture on the Sabbath, but you could move a ladder four steps. Oh, good. Oh, I can't reach the gutter. So all of this well-intended, trying to keep the Sabbath, additional burdens to the law were keeping them from experiencing God's grace and love and destroying the people who they were teaching. About a month ago, there was a sort of nationwide scandal going on in the New York Times and in the Chicago Tribune related to a church that I've been, uh, had friends at um, for 20 plus years. So I was following the story really from a palace intrigue. Oh my goodness, did that really happen? Oh my goodness. And, and I find myself going from just informational to almost like gossipy palace intrigue, like, well, what what's next? And I thought, man, these are not just like people's names. These are people I know. Have I called to, to lift a, a finger to help? It's like I, I called and emailed in the middle of this gigantic public scandal and I got emails almost immediately back. I was actually shocked. Saying, Dad, Chad, thanks for being willing to pray for us. Thanks for saying that you care and you, you, you want to help if you can. Not a lot of emails were coming in offering help. Just a lot of condemnation. It's a church, I can't remember if it was in Atlanta or Peoria, where there was a situation where a couple had got involved in an affair. And so they were going to go and, and confront and help restore the marriage. And one of the elders came to the other elders and said, listen, I'm going to go to the situation. Here's the best we understand what's going on. Um, which of you elders, if you were given a situation like this, might have found yourself tempted to do the same thing? Elders like, <clears throat> man, mm-mm, mm-mm. I would never fall for that kind of thing. I'm a Christian. One of the other elders like, you know, I, I hope I wouldn't, but... You know, given that kind of pressure, given that kind of neglect, given that kind of, you know, brokenness in me, I, I think I probably could. He says, all right, you're coming with. We are going to go, as Galatians says, and restore one who is broken as people who know we're equally temptable. We're equally temptable. We're equally able to allow the Bible to justify bad behavior, to persecute the truth rather than persecuting the lies within ourselves. 
The second law Jesus says is, whoa, you, you celebrate your blind spots. Like, it's, it's bad enough that you don't recognize your blind spots. That's a big problem. You actually celebrate your blind spots. You're proud of the things you should be ashamed of. And you ignore the prophets all around you. God is speaking to you, trying to get you and grab your attention to see your blind spots, and you're not even listening. Woe to you. You build the tombs of the prophets. Saying, oh, you know what? We love Elijah. Oh, man. Have you seen? Show, let me show you what we built. This is the Elijah tomb. Oh, and here's the Isaiah tomb. Oh, and look what we built to Jeremiah. Wow. And Jesus says, yeah, and you know what your fathers did? Yeah, our fathers loved Isaiah, loved Jeremiah. We loved Elijah. He says, no, no, no. Your fathers that you're building the tombs toward killed them, rejected them, stoned them. You are celebrating like you did everything right. We want to be like our fathers. And your fathers always rejected the truth. And if your fathers always rejected the truth, maybe you got the same problem. You don't see the truth all around you. You celebrate your blind spots and ignore the prophets around you. In fact, he goes on, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. And they, what were the deeds of your fathers? They killed them, the prophets God sent. And you're building their tombs? Now, the human capacity to lie to itself is just unfathomable. And I've spent a week journaling, I mean just journaling, finding lie after lie in my own heart. I'll give you two flavors of this, but there's so many. You come to a pleaser and you say, hey, listen, I think there's some inner... Uh, anxiety in you that, that is really causing a conflict. You kind of invent problems because you're trying to solve problems and the pleaser says, no, 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 no. No, I love people. I'm kind to people. I, I have a good heart. I'm a peacemaker. Totally blind to the fact that their, their inner fear and inner anxiety within them that is actually causing much of the friction. That they think what's motivated by love is motivated by a deep, deep sense of fear. You talk to a perfectionist. <clears throat> hey, I think you're being a little harsh. I think the way you're coming across is a little too strong and, and out of proportion to the situation. And what does a perfectionist say? I just got high standards. Sorry, you don't. I just tell it how it is. I'm a truth speaker. Oh, could be. Or maybe you're a jerk. We celebrate what we should repent of. And Jesus says, and God is trying to get through to you. He's been trying to get through to us as human beings for centuries, and we ignore the prophets all around you. And you're going to be held to count worse than others because God himself, the ultimate prophet, is standing before you, and you are ignoring him. <clears throat> Therefore, the wisdom of God has also said, I will send... God's sending truth to you from the prophets, from the apostles, and some of them they will kill and prosecute. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from this generation of the world may be required of this generation. It's led up to this moment. The blood of Abel, references Abel as one of the sent prophets, interesting, to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple, I tell you it shall be required of this generation. 
Is God trying to speak to you through the prophets around you? Your boss, your employees, your spouse, your kids. Ah, being too sensitive. Ah, they're not talking about. Ah, they're just kids. Ah, they're just crabby. Are you missing the voice of God all around you? Notice what happens here. He mentions the blood of Abel. And let me remind you the passage from Genesis about Abel. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, that there might be someone in your family that God is trying to get through to you by speaking to you through your brother, your wife, your husband, your sister. And you're missing God's word from you, from him to you, because you're dismissing, ah, it's just Abel, it's just my brother, it's not a prophet. Look what happens. God says, what have you done, Cain? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. When you look at the people you've hurt, the blood is crying out for you to examine how you speak, how you act, how you respond. Not to rationalize or excuse it, but to say, God, there's damage around me and I might have caused it and I need to seriously look at what part I have to play. Then he mentions Zechariah. Now he's not talking about a brother, he's talking about a son. In Second Chronicles, and the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who said to them, again, here's God being, here's Jehoiada, or sorry, Zechariah, prosecuting evil, calling people to account. Why do you transgress the commandments of God? You're off base. You've gone the wrong way. What you're doing is unacceptable. So that you cannot prosper. This is not going to lead to the right place. You have forsaken the Lord, and He's forsaken you. And how do they respond? To the son of Jehoiada? How do you respond when you're confronted or rebuked? When somebody calls you to account? Do you say, I need to think about that? Maybe that's true. I wonder if God wants to speak to me. Or do you do what they did? So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court. And we shut down the voice of truth in our life. We shut it down. We don't listen. We don't obey. Woe when we lay and point a finger at others, but we don't lift a finger. Woe when we celebrate our own blind spots and don't take the serious work needed to look at our blind spots. And woe, Jesus says, that you have turned my key to freedom into a lock. Woe. You twisted my key into a lock. Woe to you lawyers! You have taken away the key of knowledge. My word, my Bible, my message, my gospel is supposed to be a key to unlock hope and joy and love. Doesn't mean there aren't tough conversations and then you hold people accountable, but it's designed to bring life. You did not enter in yourself. You, you missed it. You read the Bible. You know a lot of Bible stuff. You got a lot of Bible regulations. But you don't know and haven't used it properly. And those who entering, they're trying to enter in the kingdom, you hindered them. You stopped them from coming in. 
And here is Jesus being the kind of lawyer that prosecutes what's wrong. Wrong, lie, inappropriate, misuse. And he's a defense lawyer of what is right. The Bible is the key to knowledge. And what was supposed to unlock, oh, you've turned into ways to lock people down. Don't be that kind of lawyer. And to look seriously at there's a lawyer in you and I that does that. And if Jesus is our hero, and as a follower of Jesus, we say he's our hero, then we should look at the key to God's word as my hero. When he used the word, he became more kind. I look at my life and I look at my hero and I say, Am I becoming more kind? I look at how patient he is and I say, am I becoming more patient? I look at how bold and strong and truthful he is and I say, am I willing to stand up for what is right and what is true? I look at how generous he is and I say, is my life filled with generosity? Don't be that kind of lawyer. Two types he's talked about here. There's a lawyer that uses the Bible to unlock grace in their own lives and the lives of others. And then there's a lawyer that uses the Bible to lock you up. Like I said, I did a lot of journaling this week. It was a very difficult week and a very difficult season with many of the challenges I've talked about going on in our life. We went through a series last year in our exploring service called Get a Clue, and I've been leading a a Bible study on that. And in that series, it asks you to wrestle with certain things that I've been wrestling with for about a year now. And I had a profound experience this week. It's not the end of that experience, it's the beginning of a profound journey. I'm going to try and summarize it in about five minutes, but I don't know that it's possible. I'm also reading a book right now called Boundaries for Your Soul as I'm trying to figure out how to regulate my soul with the barrage of stresses that come from autism and everything else. I was walking around our lake this week and saying, God, I need your word to unlock some locked up places within me. One of the exercises, going back to this series called Get a Clue, is to say, what what causes anxiety in you? And I realize I walk around a lot of the time, like a lot of the time, with what feels like a rock right here. And that rock comes from a good place. I like to please people. And then I think it's my job to please people. If you want to torture me, by the way, here's how to torture me. This is so silly. And, and if you're not a pleaser, this won't resonate with you at all. If you are, you'll be like, what are you talking about? Call me up and say, and I, and I won't be there. Hey, Chad, um, call me back. Why, why would that... Why would that cause you tension? I don't know why that causes me tension. But when I get a call like that, I think, what did I do? <laughs> I, re- I do. I really. I, I think, what did I do? Who's mad at me? What do I need to fix? 
and I can feel this rock. And that rock that needs to be unlocked and it goes deep, deep, deep down into the past. It's something I was talking to God about. And in this book, Boundaries for Your Soul, she talks about the Hebrew idea of talking to your soul, figure out where that anxiety is coming from. And I had this image of this ninth grade version of myself who's in the middle of a family situation back in ninth grade. And he's trying to fix something that it's not his business to fix. He's trying to help a situation. It's not his job to help. But he so cares. So, I love the people involved. And in this exercise, like the psalmist say, I said to my soul, soul, trust in the Lord. Separated that, I was talking to that part of my soul. The ninth grade version of Chad and, and how to befriend that part of your soul. And to thank that part of your soul for the pieces it's given to you. I thanked, told that part of my soul, I, I love that little boy in me. I love his kindness. I love his desire to help. I love his love for people. And then, keeping that part of your soul arm's length, ask that part of your soul uh, how, if it's open to hearing from God. Other parts of your soul might be, but is that part of your soul open to hear from God? Do you believe and trust in the Lord that He's in control of situations? Or is it really all up to you? That part of my soul doesn't believe that doesn't know that. Lots of other parts of me do. I give you a hundred verses, but that part doesn't, the part that's causing the anxiety. And so I spoke those words, that part of my soul. Then I asked that part of my soul, I said, how old do you think I am? Fascinating question from the book. That part of my soul still thinks I'm 13, 12, and it's still trying to protect me. And to love and befriend that kind of your soul and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and heal that part of your soul and be near that part of your soul. And just a profound breaking of bondage. A deep, 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 deep soul tie. And then to tell that part of your soul in the power of grace... What role do you want to play in my life anymore? <clears throat> I don't want you to run the show. I'm 45 now. I don't need you to protect me. I need you to instead be loved by me. You're a part of me. A part I care for, a part I love, a part that shaped me. But I don't need you to drive anymore. I would imagine that there are parts in all of our souls that are locked up. I've got an inner firefighter that is worn out. I was journaling and drawing a picture. I just had a picture of a fireman just like collapsed on the ground. 
with a big tank on his back that just says autism. But God wants to bring healing. And God wants to bring restoration. And God wants to bring hope. But often in order to get to that place, we need to stop being that kind of lawyer that's not willing to look deep into our own blind spots and ask God to figure out what we are doing that's, that's causing breakages in our own life. So I want to encourage each one of us to look for freedom in our life. Where does God want to bring some breakages for you? You see, the sword of the Spirit divides soul and spirit. Your spirit is new in Christ. You have a brand new spirit in Jesus. But you've got a soul that's still broken. It's still filled with blind spots. It's still filled with dead spots. And there's parts of your soul that need resurrection. You need to resurrect hope where there's discouragement. Resurrect love where you've allowed hatred to come in. Resurrect passion where there's been fear. And so we're going to end the service today by singing a song that I hope gives voice to things maybe going on in your soul. I hope it's the Holy Spirit calling you to examine your own heart. And I hope it's God saying, I want to unlock things that have been locked up. Locked up by you, locked up by others, or locked up by your inner lawyer, who you need to fire. (laughs) And find a new lawyer who will help you prosecute the lies and defend the truth. Let's stand together. Well, let's not put off freedom for another day. Let me pray freedom over you. God, I want you to arrest death in this room. God, we bind the spirit of confusion from this place. We bind the spirit of control from this place. We bind the spirit of fear in this place. We bind the spirit of hatred. We bind the spirit of self-hatred. We bind the spirit of destruction that would come against all that is good. We come against the spirit of perfectionism. We come against the spirit of, uh, of division. We come against the spirit that, uh, of legalism. And Father, I ask that you would breathe life, that there is hopelessness, you would arrest it and bring hope. Where there is pain, you would arrest it and bring healing. And your supernatural love and grace would draw near to us. Heal us, shape us, convict us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. See you next week.